Here's another short and sweet podcast taken from our guest chair segment, where we open the floor to anyone in Australia with an interesting story to tell. Lacey Dunneman and Felicia Fox are the winner and first runner-up of Miss First Nations 2018, Indigenous Gay Drag Queens. As they say themselves, triple minorities. With some guests, you know from the moment you see them that they will have had experiences the rest of us could only guess at, life stories that are rich and challenging and illuminating. So it is with Lacey and Felicia, amazing to look at, amazing to listen to. They have much in common, but also much about them that is different. One is a 37-year-old father of two who grew up in a very religious family, the other an 18-year-old who first dressed in drag in year seven. Lacey, a.k.a. TJ, flew down from Darwin for our recording. Felicia, who also answers to Wendell when the makeup is gone, lives just around the corner from our studio in the indigenous heartland of Sydney's Redfern. It would be unfair of me not to tell you how they look as they walk out to be interviewed. Both Lacey and Felicia are resplendent in heavy eyeshadow, fake lashes as long as your arm, and pots of lipstick and gloss. Six foot plus, Felicia is wearing a Waratah-inspired headpiece of scarlet red perched on top of her long, straight blonde wig. She's dressed in an off-the-shoulder nylon organza cream frock with more layers than a royal wedding cake. A wattle-light necklace adorns her long, slim neck. The look is topped off with a pair of killer stilettos in pink patent leather. She's essentially a gigantic dream. Lacey's wig is a mountain of black backcombing adorned with a tiara. She's wearing a black leather-look bustier with a sequined skirt the colour of hundreds and thousands. She also sports a large, swirly tattoo on her left arm. I recommend you go to our Facebook page to take a look. This interview was an absolute delight for me, a chance to poke my head into a world I'd otherwise never get to be part of. I hope you find it as fascinating as I did. Well, somebody made an effort tonight, and it wasn't me. <laughs> this old thing. This old thing. Yeah. Who are you wearing, darling? Me. Just you. Yeah. And Felicia, this, this is... This is all House of Priscilla. So it's... Oh, of course, inspired by. Yes. Now, I'm actually not just talking to Lacey and Felicia. I'm talking to uh, Miss First Nations 2018. Thank you. And runner-up Miss First yeah. Nations 2018. Mm -hmm. Tell me about Miss First Nations. Uh, so Miss First Nation is an all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander drag competition. Mm -hmm. um, so it started off in 2017 up in Darwin. Mm -hmm. um, and most recently last year, we kicked off down here in Sydney. So yes. that's where Felicia and I were contestants. Had you met before? Yeah, briefly. I think uh, I think we marched together in Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah and I think our families, you know, blackfellas, are, mm. you meet one blackfella and you see this other blackfella, oh, what's your name? What's your last name? And Instantly I think she's my family, cousin's sister's uncle's brother's niece. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got it. Yeah. So tell me about the actual Miss Nations uh, competition. Do we call it a competition? competition? Yeah, it is a competition. Yeah, it's a competition and a showcase all in one. You know, being an Aboriginal drag queen, being an Aboriginal man, um, being in a country where our identity is already constantly examined, having that platform for me and all of our sisters who performed in it, it was just an opportunity for us to showcase not only to the queer community but to the Aboriginal community that, you know, we are here and this is accepted in our culture. And, you know, back then when our ancestors were here, obviously there had to be some Bujus and Bujus in our lingo is gays, queers. Bujus. Bujus, yeah. yeah. So, like, obviously there were some Bujus back then, so it was like it never just one day happened and appeared that there were gays on the earth. So mm -hmm. it was obviously always there. To win, what did you have to do? Uh, a lot. <laughs> so it went over five days. 
So we had different rounds. We had um, a talent night, um, national costume night, so we had to put together something that represented not only our country and our culture but us as a person. Um, then we had a lip-sync battle where, um, you know, we pride ourselves on our performances but we didn't know what songs we were going to perform until we were there on stage or pulled out of a bucket. So, oh, goodness. Um, and then all come down to the grand finale where we got to choose what we wanted to do in our best drag and, and give it our all to fight it out for the crown. Who did you have to lip-sync to? Um, I lip-synced to Jennifer Hudson. Very good. So, I'm known as a ballad queen. I thought, well, you can label me that. I'll give you the biggest ballad that, that I can find. <laughs> Felicia, who did you, you have to listen to? I had um, Rihanna, only girl in the world, and I won Miss Lipstick a Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> and so was Lacey the, a worthy winner? And you can speak honestly to me, or, or, or were you dudded? You know, at first, of course, it's like, you know, shit, I just spent all this money on <laughs> all my wigs, all my outfits for that week. And it was funny because I never did my makeup before that competition. I was always paying an artist $150 every time I was getting it done. Right. So I was like, oh, am I even going to win this competition? Or am I even going to place in the top three because I look like crud? Look like <laughs> something, you know, you go into the Jillawa and find in the Jillawa. But, um, the Jillawa? The Jillawa. So Jillawa oh, yeah. is a toilet in our, la like our language. I like it. So, you know what? Um, in Australia, we rarely hear yeah. Indigenous language. So mm -hmm. far away, the more the better. The more the better, yes. And, um... Oh, I forgot what I was even talking about now. Did you feel worthy? Oh, yeah. That I won, sorry. It was like... <laughs> Remember, I do have a crown on my head, so... <laughs> I was pretty devastated at first. It was like, shit. But then at the end of the day, it's like, we're all sisters. We're all here for the same reason. And yeah. we've all had to face this struggle. And Lacey being an older queen, it's... Uh, um, not, excuse no, me. No. <laughs> I'm interrupting this podcast to tell you what you need to know, which is that right here, Felicia's fascinator fell off. Oh, oh. see, that's karma right oh. there. <laughs> that's karma. Karma's instant. That's the shade gods coming back for me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, just looking up to Lacey, you know, because when I first started, that was all that was really out there for me, the Dreamtime Divas, and they were from Kempsey, where my pop and my family were from, and they're doing it in our own communities, and they're not coming down here into Sydney, doing it all in the social setting in the club setting of the Oxford Street, it's happening where it should be happening in the regional communities, spreading more awareness, making more diversity out there in our regional communities. So I'll take my hand. I remember when I first met Felicia too. I think you were about 17. 17, yeah. Yeah, and she was uh, walking with the First Nations float and I looked at this girl and I thought, she's got legs to her ears. <laughs> I think I need to start eating apples. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the Dreamtime Divas. Yeah, uh, so Dreamtime Divas is um, what I'm best known for. So I'm one half of the duo and we started about five years ago up in Kempsey as a little bit of fun, doing shows at the local RSL. Kempsey's um, where you're from? Uh, no, I'm originally from Townworth, born in Gunnedah. Right. So third generation drover. Yes. So that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we started to get a bit of recognition and um, there was some youth suicides that had, that had occurred in our area at that time and there were quite some young people and we thought, you know, we have a platform here and we have a voice, let's do something with was this. Was this within the Indigenous community Yes, it was. Yeah. It was and it was also with a, a family member of the other Dreamtime Diva, Nova Gina. So right. it was really close to us and we thought... Nova yeah, Gina. Nova Gina. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we really wanted to make it known that it's okay to be who you are within your community and that there are people out there that have your back. And yeah. no matter what people say, you are perfect just the way you are. I'm really interested in your journey because mm -hmm. you're a minority within a minority. Within a minority. Within a minority, yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your coming out, first of all, mm -hmm. within your 
family? Um, that was quite difficult for me. Um, I come from quite a strict Roman Catholic family where um, being gay wasn't an option. It wasn't something that, that was on the table or seen or known. And I dealt with a lot of homophobia from a very young age. I think I was dealing with homophobia before I even knew what it was. And just having three older brothers, um, third generation driver, my family were quite manly men, boxers, all the rest of it. And I was just this feminine little boy that didn't kind of fit into the mix anywhere. Um, and I was made aware of that really quickly in life. Yeah. And yeah. in, in what ways were you made aware? Um, name calling, you know. Tell being, me the names. Um, little Skirt, Pufta, Faggot, Sook. You know, I, I was taught that I'd never been nothing when I grew up. Um, and for a lot of years, I believed that. This is within your family and, and the yeah. wider community as well? More so within my family. I had a stepfather who was an ex-bikey, um, who had a really old school hatred towards the queer community as a whole. And I think he's seen something in me at a young age long before I knew what it was. So he picked at that yes. very soon on. And I think what they were trying to do was toughen me up in a way and hopefully get it out of me. But that wasn't an option. That's an extremely difficult way to grow up. Uh, what kept you strong within yourself? Um, I had a fantastic grandmother um, who used to take me under her wing a lot. Um, and I think she tried to prepare me for the life that I was going to have as an adult. I think she knew. Um, I remember her telling me stories of uh, Peter Allen when I was seven, <laughs> you know, watching on TV. And I remember her saying, he's one of those homosexual people. But that's all right. Some people are like that. Okay. And I never really understood what she was getting at until I thought about it down the track. And I also had a very strong auntie yeah. who helped prepare me for my So life. at least you were getting a message from somebody that it was all right to yeah. be homosexual? Yeah, definitely. What was your first experience of being in drag? Um, I was a late bloomer, so I was 31 oh. when I first started drag. I've been doing it now? for a few years. Oh, 26. Lacey is holding her hands up and fixing her wig in a campy, self-aware way. Of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I just turned 37. Right, OK. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about that first time. Um, well, I actually moved away from Townworth up to a friend's on the mid-north coast and um, I was working on a horse stud there, cleaning the stables, looking after the show horses and just so happened his part-time gig was being a drag queen and, and I went along to one of the shows and helped out backstage fixing their wigs and, and things like that and I was like, oh, I, I like this, this is something that I'd like to have a go at and, yeah, it kind of snowballed from there. I started getting tips and, and learning how to do makeup and, yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's... When did it first feel great? The very first night. Yep. Yeah, from day one. You know, I look back at the photos now <laughs> and I think, oh, girl, you know, <laughs> you look horrible. But what I like about that is I felt exactly the same way in drag then as I do now, whether I looked any better or not. So. Now, how does it make you feel? Uh, alive, in a way. Um, free. And, like, I can just be me. doesn't matter. There'll be people watching this tonight going, that's doing my head in, mm -hmm. because how can you be you by being somebody you're not? Mm -hmm. How would you explain that to them? I think having to suppress that femininity of mine from such a very young age, um, that wasn't natural, so that was tiring in itself. But I think sitting here as Lacey now is the freedom of letting out all that femininity that I withheld all my childhood. Mm. So, you know, this is a little bit more over the top than your genuine... <laughs> 
real girl, as they call them. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's finally just being me, 100%. And Felicia, tell me about your coming out, first of all. Um, so I was always a little, little boy running around in his mum's dresses and his, in her high heels. But um, yeah, you know, I had a very accepting family. I came out when I was 16. One afternoon after school, I cried to my auntie and I was like, I need Jen, I need to tell mum something. I think I'm attracted to men. And she said, well, how do you know? And it was like, well, mm -hmm. I only look at men and I don't find women attractive. So she was like, oh, I'm calling your mum now and she's coming over for a cuppa, let's tell her. So mum come over and I was obviously, you know, so nervous and scared. When I told mum, I asked her first, I was like, mum, are we related to the Littles? Because it's a thing for black fellas when we find another partner and they're Aboriginal, we always have to bring our mum or our dad or our pop or our nana and say, oh, do you know his father? Do you know his last name? Are we related or what? Uh -huh. Am I going to be <laughs> sleeping with my cousin? And um, yeah, no, I asked mum, I was like, are we related to the Littles? And she was like, why, do you want Marinda? And I was like, no, yuck. I was like, but Patrick's good looking, brother. And I was, my jaw just dropped. I was like, oh, so you know, I, like, I look at men, you know, I'm attracted to men. She was like, son, just sh shut up. You don't even have to tell me. And I've known my, uh, your whole life. Yeah. It was just like, it was like, I had an older brother, so it was like, he was in football all the time. They tried to put me in football, but I was out in the field <laughs> on the wing, chasing the butterflies instead of chasing the balls. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been chasing the balls instead, but. Self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike uh, Lacey, you didn't, have to contend with too much homophobia or was that also in, in the community? When I was younger, still in school, I think I was a very angry, bottled up person. I used to get teased at school a lot. I was always in the dance groups. I was always hanging out with the girls. And yeah, I lost a lot of friends after I did come out, well, so-called friends after yeah. I did come out. And it was hard. I had no one to turn to, no one to talk to. And then one afternoon after my auntie passed away, my cousin, he came and lived at my house for five weeks and I was so blessed because he was out. He was out since he was like in year five. So it was like, you've had the confidence since you were a little kid. Like, give me some of that. Wow. And then stayed in my room every night and I just picked his ears. I was like, how did you go through it? Like, with your dad especially. In your bedroom with your cousin talking, what was the thing that still burnt in your brain? I think my biggest fear was losing all my male family members. You know, I was scared that you know, I was going to lose my relationship that I did have with my father because we did have a very good relationship. You know, growing up, sometimes he did call me a poofter here or there and it was like, it, it hurt because I knew I was. Mm. And to hear it from your own dad, it was like shit, like shit, I really am. And then I remember one day after I came out, he was just like, you know, I used to call you those things all the time and, but you are like now today and I was like, yeah, but back then, you know, I was a shattered little boy. He was bottled up and was scared, didn't know who I was, didn't know what I wanted. Mm. And, yeah, now Dad and Mum are my biggest fans, biggest supporters. Has your dad said directly to you, you're OK, he's OK with you? Yeah, like, me and Dad now, we can sit down and... I don't know if anybody else does. Even when I tell some of my other gay friends, like, I sit down with my Dad and I'll be telling him, I hooked up with this guy, I got with that guy. And then they're like, oh, we can't sit there with our father and talk like that. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> now I can sit there with Dad and have those conversations and it's... He always makes it known that I'm, I'm always his son at the end of the day. Coming up, the Indigenous take on homosexuality. It's surprising. Felicia on changing her mind about transitioning and both ladies on their male alter egos, TJ and Wendell.
does, uh, does homosexuality, does it sit differently in Indigenous communities than it does in non-Indigenous? I, I don't know if there's any difference. From my experience, I think it sits differently, but more on a positive level. I think our mob and our communities are, are more open to who we are. Mm -hmm. because family is family, number one, no matter what. Yes. Um, so I think the non-Indigenous community, community sorry, are more likely to have homophobic views and thoughts other than our communities mm -hmm. and our spirituality and, and who we are as people. Felicia, tell me the first time you seriously tried drag and what it was like. Oh, I think I was like five years old and I stole my auntie's wig, stole her dress. It was a shirt, actually. But... Um, I just felt so empowered. I felt like I felt like I was famous for that five minutes. I was up on stage and everyone was just captured by me. And it was my auntie's twenty-first, and I didn't even know half of the people there. So it was like, ah, oh, like, everyone's looking at me at the moment. I'm the Tina Turner for like five minutes. So <laughs> this is my time to shine. And then I didn't really further further my drag career until I turned sixteen. I did a going away from home party down in Wollongong, and there was a club promoter there, and he was like, oh, I seen you perform on the weekend. Would you? come and join my club. And I was like, yeah, I really would love to. I didn't tell him I was only 16 at the time. Mm. And um, <laughs> yeah, I just used it to my advantage to get into the club as well. Had my first boogie on the dance floor. And um, yeah, from there, my career just took off, leading Mardi Gras mm. two years in a row and Broken Hill Festival, everything else has just come naturally. Broken Hill Festival, which is obviously that was where Priscilla was set. Mm. Perhaps quite wrongly, my sense still, particularly of rural Australia, is that drag queens uh, and even more so Indigenous drag queens, that there would be hostility there as well as acceptance. No, not really. Like, especially my drag career, you know, over the past five years, 95% of all the shows I've done have been country towns yes. or communities. Um, I think I've probably performed in the cities a handful of times compared to community. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have your, your gay drag scenes and nightclubs and everything within the cities, but they don't exist where we're from, you know. There's no such thing as gay nightclubs and stuff. So, you know, especially as a Dreamtime Divas, majority of our bookings were weddings, anniversaries, family parties. Um, we were even blessed to ask to do a farewell ceremony for somebody who knew she was going to pass, oh, who planned me. her own celebration so that was a tricky one what did you do um so we performed in performed drag, some songs of her choice yeah yeah so that, that was, must have been extraordinary it was i was really nervous because we hadn't met her children before yes um but afterwards they come up and, and thanked us and said you know that was so mum was know, it joyful? she would have loved that hey was it joyful it was sad and joyful yeah. at the same time. You know, there was no twerking or anything like that within the arts, you know. Felicia Fox show. Yeah, yes. yeah. Felicia was not there, thankfully. <laughs> but, no. um, but, yeah, so just being asked to be a part of something like that yeah. was amazing. And, you know, so, yeah, I think rural communities, it's, it's fantastic. They love us. Felicia, how far have you explored your feminine side? Um, well, I did for a couple months a while back. I thought I was trans and I started the transitioning journey. I went and seen my psychologist. I was on the hormones for three months. And on the hormones, I just got very confused and I was lost in this dark place and I was depressed and I was never depressed. I was always this outgoing, bubbly, confident person. And yeah, after the hormones, it took a toll on my body like, massively. And that's when I just knew in my head, I'm not trans, I'm drag. And 
I love being able to go home at the end of the day and be myself as a man, as Wendell, and then I love being this flamboyant, extravagant woman when I'm Felicia Fox, and mm. I can tell my stories to any crowd that I'm in. And being this triple minority up on stage, you have this crowd captured of different shapes, sizes, colours, whatever, it doesn't matter, but they're captivated by you and you can spread your message for that five minutes and hopefully inspires or touches or educates somebody in the crowd on that night. And uh, we're going to put up a photo. You mentioned Wendell. Let's take a look at, uh, at Wendell. The photo shows a smiling Wendell with no makeup under a Koori radio sign. He's fine-featured, dressed down in a simple T-shirt. Well, tell me about Wendell when he's just Wendell. So I work full-time as a radio presenter on Koori Radio mm -hmm. and I'm there five days a week, but on air as my persona, Felicia Fox. It's good that it's radio because I don't have to get in drag every day. <laughs> um, you know, just being able to be there as well at Koori Radio, having that platform in an Aboriginal community where I can spread a positive influence from the LGBTQI Aboriginal community. And it's already there, it's already curated and it's already up and running, it's well known. What black person doesn't know Koori Radio? And for, for you, Lacey, do you mm -hmm. mind if we show a picture of, yeah, sure. of TJ? Yeah. Here we show a pic of TJ with no makeup, open, smiling face, wearing a cap, rather fetching three-day growth. TJ living up in Darwin. Tell me about TJ and tell me about your children. Yeah, so uh, TJ, he's, he's a pretty good lad, you know. He's respectful, hard-working person, goes to work, pays the bills, buys my clothes. Um, I, I left home at the age of 13 because I was struggling with a lot of things and um, I was lucky enough to move in with a family who kind of adopted me and... Um, my friend and I, we kind of was allowed to do whatever we wanted when we wanted and at a very young age, I had an experience that resulted in me becoming a father. Um, so my first daughter was born just after my 17th birthday uh -huh. um, and she's just about to turn 20. Um, I was then in a relationship and was looking after my child, you know, going to work, being responsible and then um, I was lucky enough to be blessed with a second daughter at age 19. Um, who's just had her 18th birthday. My youngest daughter is the same age as you. He's looking at Felicia as he says this. Now I do feel old. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, so they're my world, they're my life, and I think um, having my daughters at such a young age may be why I'm still sitting here today, I think. Um, they changed my life. They made me a better person. And I've never made a decision that didn't include them since the day they were born. And what do they think of Lacey? Yeah, Lacey's number one fans. Yeah. <laughs> Especially my youngest, she's always got fashion tips. Um, <laughs> when I say I'm going to wear something, she's like, ooh, Dad, no. I'm like, well, I'm not 18 and I'm not going to the nightclub. I need a sequence. I need something. But she always makes me laugh because once I actually get ready, she's like, oh, now I can see it. Yeah, you look all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> well, look, it's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I do feel a little underdressed for the occasion. Yeah. Uh, but thank you I'll both. take you backstage and I'll sort you out. <laughs> I haven't got the legs for it, let yeah. me tell you. Um, uh, as you said, triple minority, but mm -hmm. uh, absolutely front foot and fantastic to have you here. Thank you both. Thank, thank you. you so much. After the interview finished, one of the most beautiful moments I've ever experienced in a studio took place and no cameras were on it and that in some ways made it more beautiful. I was just sitting on the set with uh, Felicia and Lacey when uh, a woman stepped forward from the front row of the audience and she wanted to say a few words uh, to Wendell, Felicia. He went over to her and 
I could see it was quite an intense conversation. So I went over to ask who she was and what, you know, why she wanted to talk to Wendell. It turns out that when Wendell was at school in a, a challenging school in a challenging part of Sydney, a gay Indigenous man, he was in a lot of trouble and the headmaster wanted him to leave. And nobody really wanted to take on this troubled boy. And this woman was a teacher at that school and she put a hand up and said, I'll take care of him. And despite being asked by the school not to encourage this young man to express himself as he was, she did that. She saw him through to the end of year 11. And as she told this story, and as she said how incredibly proud she was of Wendell, both she and Wendell were crying. Now, it was very, very beautiful. And thinking about it now, I feel kind of emotional. This was, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, Australia voted overwhelmingly for love, and here was the face of it, love and tolerance. I'm glad to say that the online response to Felicia and Lacey was all warmth and support. You do worry when you put guests on like this in mainstream TV that they might get a hard time from the racist, homophobic keyboard warriors out there. But to my delight, they were welcomed with open arms. Here's just a taste of the feedback from Wendy Wu. So real, so down to earth and so great. More power to you for being yourselves and showing others it's perfectly okay. Karina Rosa, fabulous. What lovely role models for Indigenous kids. And Felicity Shippard, I'm proud to be an Aussie, to share this nation with great people like this. That's all for this episode. Feel free to check out some of our other interviews in the series. If you want to contact us, maybe you have an amazing story you'd like to share. You can do it at facebook.com slash interviewau. While you're there, you can check out photos of Lacey and Felicia in and out of costume. That's it for now. But remember, as my old costume designer Nelson Mandela used to say, we're all just walking each other home. <laughs>